0: This episode is proudly sponsored by Carpet Court Australia. I'm building a house for the very first time, turning a knockdown into two beautiful homes in Melbourne. Our project is called the Bellfield Build, so be sure to follow me on Instagram at Emily Osman to see some snippets as the build unfolds. We are thrilled to be partnering with Carpet Court, Australia's largest flooring and blinds retailer, as the flooring supplier for our project. In this episode, I'm speaking with Darren Palmer, who has been an ambassador for Carpet Court for eight years and who is widely regarded as one of Australia's most renowned and influential interior designers. Darren is a judge and presenter on the four-time Best Reality Program Logie Award-winning show The Block. He has regularly contributed articles to a selection of Australia's premier home and lifestyle publications, and he has released two books, Easy Luxury, An Expert Guide to Creating Your Perfect Home, and Home Space, Changing the Space You Have into the Home You Love. 2017 saw Darren launch his own soft furnishing and interiors range Australia-wide with department store Myer. In 2018, Darren teamed up with the Interior Design Institute to create his very own accredited online interior design course available worldwide, along with launching his own tailored homes with GJ Gardner Homes. In this episode, Darren opens up about what's becoming one of Australia's most influential interior designers has really involved, including how he got his start, what he has found most challenging during his career, and his biggest advice for others looking to succeed as an interior designer and in business more broadly. So let's welcome Darren Palmer to the show. Well, Darren, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Absolute pleasure to be joined by you today.
0: It's funny. I know a lot of my community are going to be very jealous, but I think the person that's the most jealous is actually my partner because he just loves your fashion sense. Oh, <laughs> Every time oh. we're watching the block, he's like, well, I've got to write, like, I've got to take note of what he's wearing. He just looks so good.
1: <laughs> Do you know what? It, it helps to have a husband to help you get dressed <laughs> because my fashion sense <laughs> isn't as good as his and I take him shopping for everything, for every season, always. And I'm like, what what about this, babe, and this? And he's like, maybe not that, maybe this, and that's why I end up looking so well put together, because it's two heads are better than one.
0: Well, Darren, it is great to have you here. Everyone really in Australia knows who you are, but for anyone that hasn't heard of you before, who are you? What do you do?
1: I certainly wouldn't be offended if people didn't know <laughs> who I was, honestly. Uh, you know, so I am an interior designer first, um, author, also a, a writer and an author. I You might know me from such shows as The Block uh, on Channel 9, which is currently on air and uh, doing exceptionally well again, thank goodness. And, you know, I'm just that guy that sort of tags along with Shana and Neil, and, um, you know, has a bunch of sort of corporate commercial engagements that uh, might get them to see me in magazines and on tvs and stuff like that so you know it's bizarre what i do it's kind of weird like people ask me what do you do and i'm like work for myself mm-hmm. and then they're like oh so what how do you what do you do for work and i'm like i'm a designer and they're like okay cool and so like what do you design and i'm like <sighs> okay, how much do you want to know? I design houses, <laughs> I design apartment buildings. Um, I have got an education course. I've written two books. I've, uh, I work on TV. I, you know, And, and they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, I could do, like, do like seven different things. I'd say I'm a jack of all trades, probably a, a master of none.
0: Oh, I don't know about that. It's funny though. It's kind of like the slashies. Is that what they say?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm such a slashy.
0: Outside of all the things that you're involved in, writing your own books on TV, what do you love to consume in terms of maybe what you're watching right now or reading or listening to?
1: So we've just finished School Holidays and I have watched so much children's animated content that I truly love with all of my heart. So it really is not laborious for me. We've watched Captain Underpants, We've watched Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. We literally devoured a whole season yesterday, uh, all at once because it's excellent. And yeah, that's pretty much what we watch. I mean, we watch sort of you know family-friendly stuff. Uh, and when I'm able to watch stuff on my own, I just watch sci-fi and Do anything that blows you? up. Yeah, I'm oh, a n- massive wow. nerd, like a big giant nerd. So Marvel. Star Wars, Star Trek, Discovery, like I'm all over it. I just, I love that (laughs) stuff. I love it. I know, I'm a massive dork, like a huge dork.
0: (laughs) Speaking of, when you were growing up, what did you want to do? Did you always want to be in design? How did that happen?
1: You know, uh, I've said this so many times, it sounds cliche to me, but it is the absolute truth. When I started realizing people had to work for a living, I wanted to make houses and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that, you know, I, I just thought that was being an architect. And, you know, I, I kind of worked okay at school. I wasn't great at school. I didn't certainly didn't get the marks to be an architect. And then I realized that they got to study for six years and then they come out and they earn really not a lot of money unless they start their own practice in which case they earn tons. Uh, so I just was like, ah, okay, maybe that's not the avenue for me. And then I started doing graphic design. I studied fine art and visual arts and I worked in advertising, Had my own graphic design business. And then I sort of just realized one day that every book I read, every magazine I read, every time I went into somebody's house, any, any time that I was exposed to the interior of a home, I was automatically redesigning it in my head. And so I was like, I'm doing the wrong thing. You know, I'm I'm clearly doing the wrong thing. I need to um, make that change. But what that meant for me is giving up a pretty good wicket, running my own business, working for myself and doing something where I had no skills, no education, no experience. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. Why not? (laughs) Um, So I didn't take a conventional route into interior design. But I did always know deep in my heart that's what I really wanted to do. I just didn't know that's what it was because where I grew up in Gladstone in central Queensland, it's not the sort of place that you would think of for interiors. It is an industrial town where there's gas and there's steel and there's Mm. cement and it's a coal port and it produces energy and it's like Newcastle in Queensland but smaller. So that job description just didn't come up you know so as i sort of got more experience in the world i realized okay this is actually a thing and i can do this for a living and i was exposed to people that you know were buying homes and renovating them themselves for themselves as well as um, professional interior designers so that's why i do all the different things i do because i love frankly i love me as a client i'm pretty good (laughs) Uh, i'm very agreeable um you know what What I want to do, um, I get to do unless my husband says no. And then in which case I tell him that I'm the expert and he needs to keep his opinions to himself.
0: (laughs) Cause I guess you've had that side um, with your graphic design business then working with different clients. What did it look like for you to transition into interior design? How did you go about doing that?
1: Yeah, it was really unconventional. So I bought an apartment with some friends and so there's four of us that owned a few properties we bought a house and then we bought an apartment and it was very run down but it was in a fantastic building and when i saw it you know everybody else saw that the colors were multi sorry the walls were multi colors and that it had a cockroach problem and that it (laughs) smelt like I'm going to say it, ferrets. We um, because the oh previous owners God. had a ferret, so it was very, it was not not very enticing. But the bones were insane, and there it was um, in an apartment building in Potts Point, which is one of two neoclassical buildings that are pretty much side by side. They're called Corinthia and carisbrook and they are really grand, very sort of English neoclassical buildings with high ceilings and big rooms, and you know. But it was it was in dire straits, this poor little apartment. But I always had in the back of my head that I would fix it up. So over a year of weekends, I renovated it, and then I finally got it, you know, finished. And I showed a friend of mine um, who was an interior designer, was very 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 talented. And so what do you think? And he was like, oh, this is actually really good. Like I'd I'd never designed anything in my life. I'd never designed a kitchen or, you know, anything. Um, And he's like, no, right, this is, yeah, you've got a good aesthetic. And it just so happened that his partner was in France working on their house and he was here on his own working on his own. So I was like, well, I mean, can I just tag along with you, um, learn on the job? And fortunately, one of my mates was a very good friend of Neil Whitaker's. So I got a (laughs) photograph and then those photographs ended up in front of Neil Whitaker and he put it in the Bell renovation issue oh so my I was gosh. fortunate that the first you two go way back <laughs> yeah yeah my life would be very very different if it wasn't for Neil Whitaker that's for damn sure i mean we've got such a crisscross path it's it's unbelievable but yeah so then you know i got published i got more work And I got more experience and, you know, I finally started to get the confidence to be able to call myself an interior designer, not because I had a piece of paper, but because I had a great deal of experience. And, you know, then I did Homemade, which is the first show I was on. And that was just like a baptism of fire. I learned so (laughs) much so fast and I would not wish that on my worst enemy, but it was brilliant. Because I did like eight houses in eight weeks, like it was crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's sort of um, you know how I cut my teeth about two, three years into my professional life. Yeah. And then from there, I just you know I started writing for GQ. I started doing more work, and then the you know the tier of client gets you know the, the bigger and bigger. The the houses get more expensive, and and then yeah you know I got to a point where I got to be uh, in a position where people wanted to be aligned to to me and my brand. And, you know, Carpet Court was like the first brand ambassador that I was. So that was quite amazing, like very, very early on in my career. That's special. Yeah. um, Before I was a a block judge permanently, they saw me on the season before I was just a guest judge and they're like, hey, we really like what you're about. Would you be our ambassador? And that was like, God, sick. Eight, seven eight years ago wow crazy yeah and then since then you know there's been i've got a range at Maya. i work with you know brands like audi and hayfleet Carper cord is my longest ambassadorship and you know they're very dear to my heart so you know i've, I've been really lucky i mean colorbond i've just come on um board with colorbond and there's also really exciting new ambassadorship that's going to get launched really soon that's very exciting in the interior space so um yeah watch this space on that one i've written for house and garden domain and gq and all these amazing opportunities that i just never ever would have dreamed that i would have the opportunity to be a part of i'm sure i've forgotten like a bunch (laughs) of corporate um partnerships that are very important (laughs) like maya uh oh, for example great. Get my that one in. <laughs> definitely definitely need to mention that one but they're all really important to me even if I'm blanking right now that's it's it's quite an amazing place to be where my business is so diverse that I don't have to do the same thing every day I get to do different things all the time and be in different places and you know I might be renovating my house I might be spray painting my house um, you know or I might be in hair and makeup and shooting an ad or anything in between, I'm designing an apartment building at the moment, you know? And so there's all these different facets to what I get to do. And it's, um, it probably sounds like I work all the time and I don't. I also have a really nice balance between family life and, and work life. I'm not a workaholic and I'm not a perfectionist anymore. And I used to be both those things. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that um, it doesn't have to be perfect to be right. And, you know, I don't have to be the best to be good.
0: People listening, I know that they're just going to love that you've said that because I know so many of my audience, they, they do struggle with that perfectionism. And then also that probably the imposter syndrome too. Was that something that you had to work on?
1: Absolutely, freaking I think any professional or anybody coming up has struggled with um, imposter syndrome. I know people at the top of the food chain at the height of their careers in massive big jobs, in big companies that still feel like they don't quite belong where they are, that they were just lucky to get there. And you know what? There is a degree of luck in these things, but... I would say the key is to diligently make the most of every opportunity that's before you, and then see what opportunities you can actively make come from that opportunity. And as you do that, one opportunity then might branch into three, and then those three branch into you know nine, and then nine might branch into eighty-one, and then you know you just exponentially get bigger and bigger and bigger because you don't know what's going to come from the thing that you're working on now. But if you put everything that you can into it to make it the best you can without being a perfectionist, without doing, going so far down that rabbit hole of everything has to be perfect so that it's, it's good enough. That's not true. You're actually, I found I'm better off doing 100 things at 80% than doing 10 things at hundred percent.
0: I laugh cause this, that's what I'm like. And then my partner's like, you do it once and you do it right. Is your, like coming to that realization, I just think it's the best. Cause you just get so much more done. What, like, how did you come to that realization?
1: You wanna know the truth? I'm gonna tell yeah. you the truth. <laughs> I'm still a nightmare. Like every time, every time I design something new or I have to crawl outside of my comfort zone and do something outside of my box, I always am wrapped in self-doubt. I'm always the one that's like, this is crap. I just, I, I, it's no good. This isn't going to work. I mean, I work with a charity called Your Town and I've worked with them for the last six years or something. I recall very vividly, almost every year, I will do it on paper, I'll plan it out, I'll buy it all, I get it put there. And but, but when I'm planning it out, I'll, I'll sort of be really down on myself. And I'll, I'll say to Olivier, my husband, I'm like, this is not going to work, it's gonna look terrible. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that's not true. Um, <laughs> history has shown that that's not accurate. But let's see. And then I will do the job. And then I'll call him from the job when I'm standing in the, finish, um, the finished finished <laughs> result. And I'll be like, babe, this is amazing. He's like, surprise, <laughs> surprise. I'm like, yeah, sorry. But that's just the way I'm wired. I'm just, I'm wired. I think the self-doubt and the needing for things to be right drives me to get things done well, but. I have learned because I I innately am a really very perfectionist driven. I'm kind of a little OCD (laughs) in terms of the detail that I like to go into with work. Uh, But end of the day, I have realized that it's counterproductive and it is better just to to accept that if it's working, that it's good. And it doesn't have to be the best job that's gonna win awards around the world, it just needs to be the right solution for that brief. And if it does that, I'm happy.
0: I'm sure some other people would would kind of be focused more on, I have to win an award with this, rather than necessarily actually meeting the brief as well so it can work against them.
1: I've never won awards for anything. (laughs) Um, The only only time in my career where I thought I had work good enough to enter into awards, was when I did my second book and the homes in, in that were really beautiful.
0: I've got that book, it's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. So I mean, I, I, would, I wanted to enter like five of those jobs into awards that year, but I didn't own the rights to the photography. And because it's in a book, the publishers were like, well, we can't have you publish that in a magazine because it's in your book. So I was like, okay, commercially that's not gonna work. Yeah. So I was really Damn. bummed. Cause I was like, I've done these beautiful shoots and these beautiful <laughs> the homes.
0: One oh. mm.
1: Anyway, so now, now be I do, Yeah. Look, I, I'm more focused on doing houses for myself um, now. And I really am enjoying doing just sort of renovations on our own houses and sort of setting them up for Airbnb and, you know, oh, making, so cool. yeah, it's really fun. Um, and then, you know, to sort of get that high-end design stuff out of my desires, I guess. I, I do you know, that, that charity work for your town, for example. I'll, I'm designing a, a multi-level residential building in Canberra. You know, I get to design stuff for corporate clients. Um, so that's where I get to sort of do the more expensive high-end stuff. And I think that's good for me too, because I get to get grubby and dirty and covered in paint, which I really love. But I also get to sit in front of a computer and design things, which I also love. And then i get to design you know massive big projects which i also love
0: so how's the industry changed since you've been in it what have you seen
1: look i think the block actually has quite a lot to do with it and i think that the australian obsession with real estate has a lot to do with it and by it i mean um, a greater level of education for the general populace to understand the language and fundamentals behind design So that having design discussions with clients is so much simpler because you have much less ground to cover at the beginning. Whereas when I started designing 15 years ago, you know, some of the terminology that we'd use, you know, it wasn't common vernacular when, you know, you you go to sort of talk about reference points, they'd pull out cutouts of magazines. Hilariously, sometimes they pull out magazine cutouts and be like swiping through. I'm like, that's mine. And they're like, and that's mine. That, that one's mine as well. And they're like, oh, cool. Okay. So you're the right person for this job. I'm like, yes, that's, <laughs> that's why you get published. But you know, that's, that's the difference. Another difference is now because of Instagram, because of Pinterest, you can self publish. And so being in a magazine isn't what it used to be, which has also really affected the magazine industry. So online has really changed the landscape. There's definitely a place for books and for magazines. They are beautiful, tactile things that you want to interact with. But because of pinterest and because of the block and because of the sort of saturation of really good reference points out in the just in the populace then i i just feel like people are better educated they've got a a stronger opinion that's more informed so that can be good and it can be bad and you know the the bad side of of reality tv deadlines <laughs> and You know, what we've seen, for example, with contestants and Pinterest is that, you know, there is this sort of blurred line between reference and replication. And there's this blurred line between realistic timeframes and TV timeframes. Uh, TV timeframes are real. They really happen in that real time frame. It's just it takes a lot of infrastructure and a lot of systems, a lot of planning, a lot of manpower, and a lot of expense to do it that way. That's why you don't do it that way in real life. But we, I, I have a lot of people, um, you know, tradespeople going, "Oh, you can't do a bathroom in a week." Yeah, you can. You just have to do it a really specific way. And in reality. Tyler doesn't want to work anywhere near a, a plumber or work with an electrician in the space. But on, on the block, they all work in the same space at the same time because they have to. So, you know, I think it's to go full circle. I think there's a lot better education and it's a lot easier to have design conversations now than it was when I started out. But the flip side is, you know, you do see some really blatant copying of work out there. So I think that is definitely one of the downsides of having this sort of proliferation of, of ideas out there. I always like to say, if you start with a brief and you write down what you're trying to achieve in the project you're doing, and then you find lots of reference, and then you sort through the reference and edit the reference so that you've got a lot of commonality in the reference, and then you use the the base of the commonalities in the reference and run it through your own aesthetic filters and refer it back to your specific brief, then you can't be copying people. You can't, if you do that, what you do is going to be new. But if you just do a lick and stick of somebody else's idea in your room at home, that's fine. That's cool. I mean, not everybody has the capacity to do what I've just said. You know, it it does take quite a lot of left brain, right brain thinking to be able to go, I need to be pragmatic and practical as well as creative. But it is important, I think, to not rob yourself of the opportunity of expressing yourself in your own space, in your own home, in your own way, with your own rooms, with your own aesthetic. You're robbing yourself of the opportunity to discover what that is if all you do is copy the work of somebody else because you've seen it and you liked it.
0: I feel as though that also takes a bit of bravery to actually be like, you know what? I haven't really seen this before, but I'm just really feeling this is what I want to do. What do you you say to people that maybe that's because they want to express themselves, but they're like, that's not what I'm seeing on Pinterest or Instagram.
1: It's really funny because I don't really adhere to trends. I don't really... People ask me, you know, oh, what's 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 going to be the latest trend? And I'm like, don't care. Because <laughs> trends, it's not because I, I, I don't respect their place. It's because by the time we see a trend in mainstream print and in stores, it has been through, okay, here's a perfect example. Devil Wears Prada, right? You know the cerulean blue sweater? So Anne Hathaway walks into a room and they're just debating over belts and she scoffs under her breath and Meryl Streep's character, you know, turns to her and goes, do you think this is amusing? And she's like, they look exactly the same to me. She said, okay, this is cerulean blue and it started in, you know, on this catwalk and this... On this fashion show, and then it made its way through to this point, and then to this point, and then to this point, and all the way down to trickle to that discount bin um, jumper that you're wearing right now. <laughs> oh, but God. this is this is the cycle of fashion. Fashion moves really fast. It does it does go sort of runway through to sort of discount bin very very quickly. Interiors run slower than that, but the trends are. are they're the same. If you've seen it, it's sort of what you see in Salona de Mobile or God, what's the Paris one? Oh.
0: Maison Déjà okay?
1: Yes. Thank you. So, you know, if you see it there, you're going to see it here, you know, a year later or so. And I think by the time you see it um, sort of mass produced, it's probably the end. What people are doing now is far less relevant than what is coming. Trends are like, periods in architecture used to be, except they used to run over generations. You know, they go from high detail to low detail, to high detail to low detail. You know, you go sort of Italian to sort of simplified, um, back forth, back forth. But our trends don't do that side by side anymore, they stack. So you've got six different things happening at once, but there will still be this sort of um, reaction from one to the other so that, you know, whilst you've got sort of pastel muted tones, you're inevitably going to have to be getting sort of bright, vibrant, saturated gem tones after, you know, if you're getting lots of artisan handmade craft stuff, inevitably the next thing is going to be really sort of minimalistic, haired backs simplified interiors. You know, someone asked me the question the other day, what trend, do you think coming? I was like, well, I mean, we've seen the 30s come back, the 50s come back, the 80s and the 90s are all back. That's all now. Inevitably, the 2000s have to come back and that sort of 2000s minimalism has to come back. I hope to God it's not the white, chrome, stainless steel, glass, bland version that we saw. One of the other great sayings I love, which also comes from fashion, is if you were there the first time, the second time around, it's not for you. And the same applies to interiors. I remember the 80s. I was there. Yeah. Wasn't cool. Um, So I'm not going to try and do the (laughs) 80s now because I've been scarred by the memories of the 80s then. Um, But people are really, really interpreting the 80s in a really cool way. So one of the things I like to say is that if there was beauty in something um, in a period at some point, if there was beauty in it ever... That beauty is still retained. You just need to find it and then process it through a contemporary lens to reinterpret it in a modern way. But that beauty doesn't ever fade, it just goes out of style. But if you can just find that and just rejig it then it'll come back to life.
0: So cool. I love how you describe this. Thank you so much. I got a couple of last questions. You did mention it, like you have touched on it, but I would love you to talk about like your brand and the different pillars under it because you do such exciting things. What are those different, I guess, parts of your brand?
1: It is so interesting. That's the way you phrase that because that's exactly how I see my business. It's a brand with pillars. And (laughs) that is exactly, exactly the work that I did, um, five years ago to sort of work out, what really do I stand for and what do I want to achieve? Um, my mission is to democratize design. I want to make design so available cool. to everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to achieve so that at any price point, no matter what you're looking for, you can either you know, buy a candle or a cushion or a bed cover you know, or a book or you can buy a ticket in in a lottery to win a house I've done, or you can buy an apartment that I've designed, you know, all the way up to some experience that, you know, money can't buy. And there's this spectrum of how I want people to be able to interact with my work and my brand. But I also want to make sure that the education is there so that people can make informed decisions so that they can make decisions for themselves in their own homes and feel confident because they understand the foundations of what good design is about. So my pillars, my brand pillars are inspiration, aspiration, education, right? So inspiration is about, you know, putting out great work, you're inspiring your audience so that they can learn, right? Um, and, and you know just absorb. Aspiration is that high end stuff. So the, the stuff that you know you want to do is it, really cool that like people will be like, "Okay, I can't do that in my home, but that's really amazing." And then education is about just making sure people have the information so that they can use the other two pillars and they can go shopping and they can buy things. that might have my little cute logo on it so that they can feel like they've got a piece of design that they can trust, that they know is gonna work and that they ha- has been passed through my lens so that when they take it home, they know that it's, it's good. Um, and they can trust, trust that it's a, a good design piece and it's gonna work in their homes. That's what my brand's about. And what that looks like for me on a, on a day-to-day basis is, you know, I get to align myself with businesses I never believed in a million years I would ever get to work with. I've created entertainment suites for Audi for the MCG. I've done some really amazing stuff that I've just like this little country kid never would have dreamed were possible at all, so I'm eternally grateful for what I've been able to experience, but I have worked really super hard to get it, and I've done a lot of work on knowing what's right for my business and my brand, and what isn't right for my business and my brand, and I believe saying no, and being very clear on what your vision is, and only saying yes to the things that align to your vision, And align to your goals that saves you a lot of time a lot of heartache and will also allow you to make space for those things that you say no to to be taken up by someone who's going to passionately say yes so you're actually doing someone a service if you say no to the right things just like you're going to be doing them a service if you say yes to the right things
0: it's so funny that was literally the next thing i was going to touch on because I assume now, and you've kind of just said it, that probably in the early days, it was like, oh my gosh, yes, I'll do that. Yes, yes, yes. And then now it's, I'm I'm sure you're saying no a hundred times more than you're saying yes, but you've now got your brand and almost the filters through which you look at all those different opportunities.
1: That's exactly it. And in the beginning, you know, it's very natural because you're sort of scrambling for work and you want to get experiences and and you also don't necessarily know what you want or where you want to be. Um, I think it's a really healthy place to be when you're starting out. You've got to do it. Sort of go you know, yeah, I'm going to try all these different things. It's like having vanilla sponge cake and then thinking, (laughs) well, that's my favorite cake, but I've never had any other cake. Mm. Right. When you start trying different um, aesthetics and and looking at different geographic locations and trying out different styles and, and using different materials, you know, that's where you start to define what your own aesthetic is about. And then that's when you start to get some clarity on the sort of jobs that you want to attract. And then when your aesthetic starts to be defined and you have a identifiable style, then that's when other opportunities open up. So yeah, it's definitely through being able to have a clear vision of what I wanted to achieve that I've been able to Say yes and no to the right filters. And, you know, I've got great management. I've got great advice from my very, very intelligent marketing expert husband. (laughs) So he's like my proxy CEO and I sort of run everything by him as well. It does take some tenacity to say no, sometimes, often. Um, Sometimes when you say no, you say no hoping that the thing that you're waiting to say yes to is going to come. And sometimes you can say no to the the wrong thing. Sorry, you can say yes to the wrong thing. And it takes away the time that you would have had to do the right thing when it comes. So it's very important to have faith that if you know where you're going and you know what you want, that the right opportunities will eventually land in front of you if you keep working towards the goal. And don't make a panicked yes out of fear Because it's going to actually take you, it can take you further away from your path.
0: Such good advice, Darren. Thank you for sharing. So good. Okay, last question. What do you wish, like looking back, country kid, what is one thing that you wish you knew back then that might have served you well over these years?
1: I never in a million years thought I would leave the country, this like Australia. I never thought I would travel overseas. really?
0: Why is that? You just didn't think you would or what's...
1: I was from a town of 30,000 people. It was an industrial town. I never actually thought I'd leave town. I only left because I had to study somewhere else. And then when I, I, I moved from Gladstone of 30,000 people to Rockhampton that had 70,000 people, I was like,
0: oh, <laughs> Mind is blown. I,
1: yeah, totes. Uh, and then I moved from Rockhampton to Brisbane, and Brisbane was like, oh, the hustle and bustle, the big city. Um, and then I moved to Sydney. Uh, then I sort of went, oh, you know what? The world's only as big as I decide my boundaries are and maybe i shouldn't just put myself within this fence maybe i can hope for bigger things and, and dream for things that i thought maybe i shouldn't dream for and you know maybe anything's kind of possible if i allow myself to believe in myself and uh, you know i guess where I'm, where i'm going with that is I kind of wish I'd studied French like at school when I was forced to, because I came out of school um, knowing je m'appelle Darren, just suis Australia, <laughs> And um, Australia, <laughs> and yeah, my, my husband's French. Yeah, we've been married for 10 years and we've been to France a lot. And I have French in-laws and a French sister-in-law and French niece and nephew. And uh, I don't speak French.
0: You don't, you haven't picked it up, no? Well, on that note, Darren, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Absolute pleasure to speak with you. And um, thank you very much for your pleasure. time.
0: Where can everyone go to find you? Where's the best place?
1: DarrenPalmer.com is the place to go if you want to just find all the links to to find me. But Instagram is really you know, probably where I do. I'm the most active and um, Darren Palmer official on Instagram. Follow me, I've got lots of fun things to say and i uh, you'll see me either dressed up or covered in paint <laughs> or somewhere in between.
0: Love it, thank you, Darren. Yeah.